Don't mind them. You can, you can have a seat. Thank you, guys. <laughs> well, if you don't know him, who I am, I'm Ryan. I'm the middle school pastor here. And I've been... Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I've been doing this job for three years now. And so I see some of my former students or some of my current middle school students. But uh, as you know, with middle schoolers, uh, there's a lot of change and transition that happens in their life. And if you've ever had the pleasure of being a middle schooler or you're currently a parent of a middle schooler, you know uh, kind of the change and transition that happens during that phase. That students go through these ups and downs of like what they're interested in, what they like, what they wear, who they hang out with. And this is constantly changing and even more so what's changing is that they are physically and mentally growing up as well. I remember when I was in sixth grade and I was on a car ride with my mom onto the store and as a sixth grader you never want to go shopping with your parents and so I decided I was gonna stay in the car and so I I sat there and I rolled the window down and I put my arm on the car door and all of a sudden I started to smell something kind of weird really off-putting and I thought it was maybe garbage or something in the car had been left out and then I did one of those things where, you know, where you kind of do a little smell test. <laughs> and, I, and I go towards my armpit, and I realize, oh, that smell is me. That is, that is body odor. And even though I had no arm hair, uh, I was realizing, oh my gosh, I'm going through puberty. I'm growing up. Like, I'm becoming a teenager, and I was super excited. And I know it's kind of weird. And I know that most people are not excited to go through puberty. Um, but I think what most of us are excited about, or what I was excited about, was uh, the opportunity for change. That when we go through change, there's this change gives us this hope that things can get better. Change offers this kind of expectation that our circumstances are going to be different. It's kind of like this hope that we have in change is when you get a new job that you've been wanting or you get a promotion at work or where you become married and start this new relationship or you become an empty nester or you are getting ready for retirement. There's this hope that you have that, man, my life is about to get so much better. And with change, there's something that's very powerful that happens. But we also know with change comes lots of difficulty as well. If I could tell my little sixth grade self what puberty actually meant was uh, lots of hormones and a lot of emotional ups and downs. What I tell someone that is going through change or difficulty is that, man, you're gonna experience a lot of things that you didn't plan for. The loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of your physical health and just having that limitation that change has difficulty, that change, it can often bring uncertainty about the future. It can bring this kind of feeling that you are not in control of what is happening. And so we have these two aspects of change, right? It's we're hopeful for what is gonna come, but also we're scared because we don't know what's coming next. And I love this quote by this American journalist named Sidney uh, J. Harris, and he wrote this, that 
kind of this tension we feel with change is that our dilemma is that we hate change, but we love it at the same time. We what we really want is for things to remain the same, but better. And I think for us, this is kind of what we feel is that I want things to get better. I want things to change, but I don't want to face the challenges that come with it. I want to grow. I want to experience success, but I don't want to face the struggle. That's a very human thing. But as we read in the scriptures, there's a better way to learn how to deal with these challenges of change. That we see in the life of Paul that he had figured out how to go through these challenges that we experience with change all the time. So if you have your Bibles in front of you or with you, would you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 3? And there's this kind of activity I love to do with middle schoolers is you race to see who can get to the Bible verse first. And once you get there, I have someone volunteer and read it, and then I throw a piece of candy at them as a reward. Um, unfortunately, I can't do that today because... Uh, I'm afraid to throw a starburst into the people in the balcony and hit someone. So we're just going to have to read together, and there will be no candy thrown. So we're in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. And if you have grown up in church or heard anything about the story of Paul, you know that Paul starts from Saul of Tarsus, and then he becomes Paul the Apostle. And so if I fluctuate between Saul and Paul... Don't worry, it's the same person. It's not a new person. Um, but he's the classic story of someone that goes through a dramatic change, a dramatic transformation. And it's easy to look at his life and think, man, he had it all together. But what we usually miss is the challenges and all the different struggles he had to go through to become who he became. And so we're going to be in the book of Acts and in order to catch us up, in order to see where Paul fits in this story, we're going to watch, watch a little video. So let's take a look. The Feast of Pentecost. The visitors encountered a group of Jews who could somehow speak in everyone's native dialect. Yeah, they were telling stories about a man named Jesus who had been executed by the Romans. They claimed he had risen from the dead and was now exalted as the true king of Israel and the whole world. And this Jesus was now calling people to adopt his upside-down set of values and live under his rule called the kingdom of God. And thousands of Jews decided to stay in Jerusalem and join the movement. It grew in size and in influence and gained favor with people. But not with the Jerusalem temple leaders. They viewed this whole thing as a dangerous religious sect, and they even executed one of its leaders named Stephen. It's no longer safe in Jerusalem, and so most of the followers flee for the outlying land called Judea. And you might think that's the end of the story, but actually this tragedy became the way the movement spread outside Jerusalem. That's where the second part of the book of Acts begins. Jesus is expanding his movement out into Judea and Samaria, just like he said he would. Which is great. But back in Jerusalem, we meet Saul of Tarsus. He's part of the religious elite who oppose the new movement, and he's finding and arresting Jesus' followers anywhere he can. This is a cruel guy. But think about it from his perspective. In the past, Israel had turned away to other gods and to false prophets, leading to disaster. He believed he was protecting Israel and God's honor by getting rid of these people. And then Saul hears, 
that the movement spread north to Damascus. So he sets out there to find and arrest more followers. So would you look with me in Acts chapter 9, verses 3. It says, as Paul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. We see that Paul is, he's on this road to Damascus, and he's focused on this one thing. But then he encounters Jesus. And even more shocking than this bright light coming down from heaven onto him, even more shocking than this voice out of heaven, out of nowhere, speaking to him, is the shock that he, who he is, and everything he's done, is coming into conflict, is coming into face-to-face with Jesus. That he had his attention focused on this one goal, and all of a sudden, Jesus interrupts that. And it shows us that change, what it should do is that it should direct our attention toward Jesus. And Paul has no choice but to face Jesus and to encounter him. And then we see in verse 6 what Jesus says to him next. So Jesus says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground. But when he had opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Paul here has kind of this crisis moment where he encounters Jesus and he has no idea what is going on, and then all of a sudden he's blinded physically. And this physical blindness debilitates him, but it also reveals something about Paul, that he has been spiritually blind for his entire life. So even though he's having this physical blindness, there's something internal that is happening as well. Um, Every Tuesday, our middle school students meet here uh, at the church over by the port, from 6.30 to 8.30. And a typical Tuesday for me is, is preparing, it's planning, it's sending out texts, and making sure the, the night flows and get things done. And so it was about four months ago, it was a normal Tuesday, and I'm working, and I'm feeling a little stressed, right? I'm feeling a little pressed for time, but I'm like, all right, I just need to work really hard and get everything done, and I'll be good. And so, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but do you ever look at your clock and what the list of things you have to do and say, I have plenty of time. And you start actually working and doing your thing and look back at your watch and you're like, I have no time at all right now. Like, and that was the pressure I was feeling that day of, I had so many things to do, so many things I wanted to accomplish. And it seemed like nothing was getting done. So what I did was, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna press down. I'm, and I started working even more. And around six o'clock, as time gets closer to start the night for 2020, um, I start looking at my screen, and as I'm typing away, as I'm feeling stressed and trying to press through it, all of a sudden, 
I feel this overwhelming sense of, of dread. This overwhelming sense like I'm failing right now. And something I've never experienced in my life, I, I physically, emotionally, and spiritually shut down. Like I'm just stone-faced and I'm staring blankly at my screen and, I, and my brain wants to tell my body to do something and my body just can't. And in that moment, all these emotions and thoughts come into my head of like, what is happening to me right now? Why is this happening? And I'm in this moment of crisis. And even though Paul doesn't describe what his thoughts were or say what he was experiencing in this three days of blindness, I can only imagine when you hit rock bottom, the thoughts that go through your head. And for Paul, when he hits this moment of crisis, he can't help but be faced with the decisions and the consequences of his decisions. That he has claimed that he is doing everything in his life to honor God. But in fact, that is further from the truth. That he's been hurting God even though he's been claiming to love him. That even though he claims that I'm doing the be- what's best for my community, he is actually hurting God's people who are most precious to him. And Paul is faced with the reality that he encounters Jesus and now he's sitting in this moment of crisis with what he's done. And this is what change actually does. Change should make us stop and see what we are experiencing. Change should make us stop and process what we have experienced. And in this moment of crisis that Paul felt and that I felt, you feel like nothing will change your circumstance. You feel like nothing, there's no answers and there'll be no way out of this. And it's in those moments where you feel like you need someone or something to intervene or else nothing's going to change. And it's that exact moment when Jesus sends someone to Paul. And skip down to verse 17. That Jesus says a man named Ananias. And Ananias went to the house, and he entered it. And placing his hand on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's in that moment that when Paul is desperate and he's blind and he's confused, and he has no answers for what has gone on. Is that God said someone to him to be with him, to show him empathy, to bring truth and understanding to what is going on. That he's encountered Jesus, and that is changing everything. For me, on that Tuesday night, four months ago, God sent me a friend named Xavier. I remember Xavier called me, and I was alone, and he came to me. And he didn't try to fix me. All he did was listen. All he did was empathize with me. And he prayed for me. And he spoke truth over the situation that I was not stuck in this point. That this point was, was meant to do something. And we see that in Paul's life. That this stopping and processing what he experienced changed something in him. And in verse 18, it says, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, 
And he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And this is the beautiful thing about change, that change could lead to transformation. Every year, the middle schoolers and I, we go to Six Flags Discovery Kingdom. And after riding lots of roller coasters and uh, nonstop and feeling dizzy and feel like you want to throw up, sometimes you need a break. And so uh, about a month after that event on Tuesday, we go to Six Flags and I go to this butterfly exhibit they have in the park. It's a lot less loud and it's a lot less dizzy because um, you're just standing and watching butterflies. And this is actually a picture I took of a butterfly. Um, they're just flying around ev- everywhere and they're, they're just very peaceful. And there's something beautiful about butterflies, the way they fly, the way they look. But I think it's easy to kind of overlook how they get to that state, how they go from that little bitty insect called a caterpillar that you read in the very... Hungry Caterpillar book, to this beautiful butterfly, right? And this transformation is actually kind of weird and gross, but kind of cool. You see that a caterpillar, it will start out, and once it's fully grown, it will form this shell. And it will form this thing called a chrysalis, and it will harden its shell around itself, and it will go into that state for about two weeks. And during that state, it starts as a solid caterpillar, but it's actually really gross in that it liquefies and it changes. And during that state, it's super critical, and even more so in the state after. Because as it's changing, as it's turning from the caterpillar to a butterfly, there's so many things that can go wrong. If that butterfly tries to break out of that shell too early, it will not fully develop its wings and it will not be able to survive. And as it's struggling out of that shell, it can take up to hours or days fighting to get out of it. But when it does, it is fully able to be free and do what it was created to do. And so for Paul, he had to go through the three days of blindness. He had to have that blinding light moment with Jesus in order to have that change lead to transformation. For me, I had to go through that very low point in my life and ministry to realize I function out of that working for God instead of being with God. And it's through being open with God and open with others and seeking professional help that I've been able to change how I live my life. And I think what Paul would say to us is that this this transformation, this change is possible. And that's why he wrote in this letter to a group of people It's 2 Corinthians that he said that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Meaning that the the difficulty of change and challenges that you go through, it's to bring something out new inside of you. And for us, I wonder there are certain changes that we have to go through. Maybe for us, our experience of changes that we're going through or will go through, that it should direct our attention towards Jesus. Then maybe the question you have to ask yourself, no matter if your life is going amazing or it's mundane right now or it's going tragically terrible, is that how is Jesus in this situation right now? How is Jesus present here? 
Maybe for you, you have to be like Paul and myself. And change means you need to stop and you need to process what you have experienced. For Paul, it was taking a step back and realizing the sin that was in his life, the things that were getting between his relationship with God. And he had to repent of those things, and that led to transformation. For me, it was ignoring my pain and my insecurities that I had to actually stop and say, God, I need healing for this. But maybe for you, knowing that you have to do these practices of change, knowing that can lead to transformation is something that's beautiful. And Jesus is the one that starts that. He's the one that finishes it. That God became a man. He entered this world that was full of change and challenges and sin and death, and he decided to do something about it. That Jesus came and he lived the life that we could never live. That he died for the sin and the brokenness of this world. And he stayed in the ground for three days. And he experienced pain and hurt. But then he rose again. And he is bringing new life and restoration and change. So for the rest of the morning, we're going to see some change and transformation that's happened in these amazing people's lives. And it's easy to think that we need that cocoon moment. We need that beautiful, very hungry caterpillar experience to turn into a butterfly and fly away, right? But we know from the stories that we hear that change that leads to transformation, it's difficult. It takes time. It takes having the church or someone like Xavier or Ananias come alongside of you. And it takes knowing that Jesus is present with you in it. And that he gives you his spirit, his very presence, the Holy Spirit, to help continue that change. Would you pray with me?